everyone. Thanks again for joining us today on our IIM podcast. We go through various topics about startup investing. Uh, my name is Lydia Kincaid. I'm managing director and we have our managing member Lee Harris on as well. So in the last episode, we talked through some top reasons that startups fail. We got about halfway through our list. So we're going to take the second half of that list today as part two of reasons why startups fail. And we have some other ideas as well, even in addition to this list, if we have time for it. Um, so topic of, of the day to start us off with, Lee, is not the right team. Um, and we do see that a lot, whether it's a mismatch in skills, an absence of skills, just not the right person. What are your initial thoughts on, on not the right team and what, how you look at that? Well, I think you have to start with, is there truly a team? Uh, oftentimes, yeah, right. oftentimes we have uh, pitches from a founder that is a sole founder. And uh, that's not in itself a disqualifying factor, but it's we like to see uh, co-founders, if at all possible, maybe even three founders. Uh, what that tells us is that uh, there's going to be a healthy exchange of ideas generally. Uh, they'll bounce ideas around. Uh, maybe they'll check themselves if somebody goes off into the in the wrong direction, the other team member or founder, co-founders bring that person back into reality. Uh, but uh, again, if you're if you're a solo founder, uh, who do you really bounce ideas off of? Even if you have employees, are they really going to tell you uh, whether whether it's a good idea or not? So, you know, start with: Are there is there more than one founder? Uh, then, of course, uh, are the skill sets right and are the uh, traits and tendencies right? So uh, if everybody is always on the same page and in agreement about everything, I'm not sure that's healthy. Uh, it's kind of nice to have some diversification of ideas where there's some disagreement, uh, but not to the point that it's uh, negative, obviously, that's that's not a good thing. But I like to see some pot stirring where founders are concerned and they argue with each other and you know, they're like brothers or brothers and sisters. And, and at the end of the day, they all come out arm in arm and, and they've figured it out. Uh, where there is uh, the wrong team, let's just say there are two co-founders and uh, Two or three other members of the of the primary team, and if they're in disagreement all the time and there's strife uh, that never gets resolved, uh, that's a real dangerous situation. Something that we're not uh, really used to. I, I don't think we we have that situation in any of our portfolio companies, and part of that's because we vet uh, the companies, I think, well enough. But <clears throat> if uh, if you if you've got people at each other's throats, uh, or you know maybe there's one of the founders that has kind of withdrawn a bit, uh, says okay, fine, have it your way, and they kind of go off in a different direction. That's a problem as well. We've been very fortunate in the 16 uh, portfolio companies uh, in which we've invested. I don't think we've seen any of that. 
Yeah. And I, I can add a couple things to that as well. Um, what people often ask me is, do you prefer a technical founder or a business founder? And lead to your point, we really like to see co-founders. Um, we see a lot of companies at the really, really early stages of development. So seed and even pre-seed a lot of times these days. Um, and usually those are technical founders is what, at least what our experience is. We see the inventor or someone who's really trying to grow their product. Um, but what they need is they need to bring on somebody with that business acumen, expertise, connections. Um, and if they don't have somebody in the moment that they're pitching to us who fits that profile, um, we like to see a plan for how they're going to hire somebody who has that skill set um, that's different than maybe a typical scientist or inventor. There's nothing wrong with that skill set, especially in the beginning stages, I think. Um, but it's really important to have a very, very early stage um, company that has a variety of skill sets. Yeah, and, and just because <clears throat> a founder doesn't necessarily have the, the business acumen um, doesn't mean that he or she needs to feel compelled to be the CEO. Right. Uh, this is another, I think, misconception that's in the industry that, well, I founded it, I've got to run it. No, you don't. Uh, in fact, we have one or, or more portfolio companies where they, they hired, the founders actually hired a professional CEO to come in and, and run it. Really smart. I really respect people that are uh, willing to check their ego at the door and say, this is what's best for the, the company. They still own the company, uh, a large percentage of it. Uh, but they've opted to bring somebody in that that has the, the the business sense that they need to mix with their technical expertise. So uh, that's a, a caveat, I think, for everybody out there in the in the early stage space. Don't feel like you have to be the CEO, and if you feel that way, make sure that it's not your ego talking, because that could be a a bad sign for the future. That's right. Yep. I was thinking of those same companies, Lee, that I think you're thinking of too. Um, and something that we have uncovered in due diligence is maybe there has been an original founder or co-founder that has since distanced themselves from the company, like you mentioned, Lee, but a lot of times there can be some pretty tricky legal maneuvers going on there. And so that's something that we really want to fully understand before we invest in a company, just how clean was that separation? What is that residual ownership for the co-founder who's no longer with the company? Um, what did that whole arrangement look like? So I, I feel like that plays into the team dynamic and our team analysis as well. Um, so next topic here, product mistimed. So maybe it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, literally, but maybe there's all sorts of other sliced bread being out there, put out on the market at the same time, or maybe there's a big regulatory hurdle that was unknown to everybody beforehand, or maybe something like COVID happens that nobody planned for, that all of a sudden their product is either not useful or not needed or just goes by the wayside. Um, what are your thoughts on product timing, Lee? Well, I think that uh, there are a few examples out there where new markets have been created. I think this, this is uh, in the same genre of, of this concern, product mistimed. And that is if, if you're creating a, a product that's really novel and it's, it's for a brand new market that may not even exist, wow, that is a very high degree of risk. Um, and there aren't a lot of those kind of companies out there that have been able to pull that off successfully. Um, Airbnb, I think, is, is perhaps an example. 
but totally, I mean, obviously it's, it's a, a hotel type of concept, but it's a completely different uh, approach to it that is so novel that how did, uh, I can remember in the early days of, of Airbnb, people being concerned about uh, people renting rooms or, or uh, the ax murderer concern. Oh, I'm going to rent to somebody who's going to come and murder me in the middle of the night kind of situation. Uh, and the, the, the Airbnb founders were very, very fortunate that they had done the research uh, and I don't think they had any idea that it would blow up to be as big a deal as it was, but that was a, an, an example of a product that was new and it was timed just perfectly. Uh, but I think that, uh, if, if there's, uh, if, if, if you don't have a unique, uh, differentiator, uh, perhaps the product would work today without that differentiator. But maybe not. Maybe in two years, it would work differently. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the competition. Uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, whether or not the unit economics are right. You can have a great uh, product idea, but it's so uh, overpriced because the unit economics underlying that, uh, that pricing model are out of whack uh, that uh, again, the marketplace is just not going to accept it. Perhaps someday down the road, uh, you can either get your unit economics in line or the marketplace is, is more accepting of the product, realizes its true value and says, okay, I'd be willing to pay more now that I really understand what's going on. But if you're, if you're going to bring a product to market where the timing is questionable, uh, you better have real deep pockets to, to, uh, to fund it for a long period of time until you can get to the point where it makes sense in the marketplace. Right. And we see, we see that sometimes in our human health and animal health companies where maybe the timing isn't right for a particular product to be commercialized in the human health side of things. Uh, maybe the regulatory burden is too high or there's just not as much receptiveness to that particular technology. But if the company can pivot maybe into the animal health market, um, maybe there is opportunity there and the timing is better. And then later on, they can re-enter the human health space. Um, so we see that possible sometimes, um, but you're right. That can take a really long time, really deep pockets um, to continue supporting a business like that. What I think goes hand in hand with this is the next topic, poor product. So mm -hmm. Maybe the founders have a great idea, they have a great prototype or even like alpha beta, they've like tested their product out several times over and iterated. Um, but at the end of the day, maybe the product just sucks and it's like people don't want it and it's clunky and it doesn't work. And maybe like the sensitivity isn't there and efficacy isn't there. Maybe it's a, a human health um, medical device that goes all the way through clinical trials um, and they get to the very last step and all of a sudden it fails when it's in a couple humans. Um, that can happen frequently. I mean, I, I think that maybe should be even closer to the top of our list anyway, uh, for the verticals that we focus on poor product, because that can really be um, hugely detrimental to the companies if they can't recover from that. Well, and, and quality of, of, of delivery is so critical. It may not, the, the product itself may be fine, mm -hmm. but part of the whole product experience is its delivery. And, and you know, maybe the issue is, is one of 
marketing, maybe it's one of the sales channel or distribution channel, uh, and uh, maybe it has something to do with the customer experience. I mean, in the customer experience, particularly on a, on a, a B2C or D2C model, is so vital. And, it, and you may have an absolute exquisite product that fails and your business fails because the customer experience is just awful. Uh, think of think of how many times that happens with with the you know, everyday run of the mill products that we know are are out there and people are buying it every day, whether it's a service or a product. So I think that not just the quality of the uh, the hardware, if you will, uh, I use that euphemistically, but uh, it's it's also the the overall delivery and the experience surrounding. Uh, that product, if it's if it's no good, uh, it will fail and your business will fail. Yeah, and I, I see more startups placing a greater priority on a customer service specialist um, to be part of their team really, really early on. If they're going to have anything that's customer or consumer facing, Amazon has a 30% return rate. I just learned that the other day, actually, from one of our portfolio companies, um, because they're placing an even greater emphasis on that customer experience and making sure that people are happy with the product they receive. They know how to use it. They know how to fine tune it or tweak it. Um, in order to fit their needs, because sometimes people do get a great product and they use it wrong. And so then, right. yeah, they feel like it's a terrible experience. Well, so and I just, think that should be a priority across the board. Just an anecdote here along those lines, but uh, I just ordered a, a, some, a Christmas gift uh, and one of the items was broken. And so now I'm scrambling around trying to figure out how I send it back. <clears throat> and there's no phone number on the website. There's no email on the website. Uh, there's no no return packaging uh, material. Uh, well, how am I supposed to get this thing back? I went on and finally found a, a chat bot that was completely unhelpful. And so I, I, I belabor the point here, but uh, I'm not buying from that company again because when things go wrong, there's just no way to, to resolve it in any sort of friendly way. Amazon is at the other extreme. They're just terrific with their, their customer resolution uh, process. So, mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Next one, disharmony among team and the investors. So you mentioned this a little bit, Lee, within the team, having some sort of strife or friction that's unhealthy. Mm -hmm. I think that can also happen between investors and founders as well. You know, we haven't experienced that with our portfolio, um, but I certainly hear stories from other investors of things that really go sideways um, with the founders or with the company team, whether that's a misalignment in the terms that are in the term sheet, or when things start not going so well, people are pretty adamant about which way the direction should go. And maybe those are two different directions the investors think versus what the founders think. And neither one is really willing to budge or listen to the other. What else um, would you consider as part of that topic? Uh, I, I think that where investors are concerned, one of the, the problems I think that uh, a, a early stage company with a founder that has, has never had partners, uh, they're just not aware of the obligation they have to their, their partners. And uh, particularly if there's a board of directors um, and especially in later stages of funding, uh, that board of directors could fire that person as the CEO. They can't fire them as a, 
as a as an owner of the company, but they can certainly fire them as a CEO. And I think coming to grips with that that notion that there's a fiduciary obligation that the the founder uh, founding team has to the investors and respecting that and understanding that and uh, and embracing that is just uh, if you don't do that there's going to be disharmony down the road because investors want a return of and a return on capital. And if they don't think things are going in the right direction, they're going to hold that founder or founder founding team's feet to the fire. And um, if you want to buck that and fight that, it's going to get ugly. Uh, and so we've seen a little bit of that from time to time not with our portfolio companies, but with other companies, especially when they're in the series B, series C stage of, of funding rounds, where you know, they, they just don't understand that they have a board and they have, you know, they may still have majority ownership, but they don't have the uh, 100% ownership they did at the beginning. And I think that's one place where friction can really develop. Yep, I agree with that, Lee. And I think one way that founders can avoid that is through transparency and constant communication with investors, making sure that investors know the truth about what's happening with companies. Of course, there'll be lots of great things going on, but there's going to be some struggles as well. And I, I think founders that are able to take that head on and be honest about what's going on with the company, um, that helps develop a relationship of trust. Um, and so that when there are tricky situations to deal with, the founders and the investors are more aligned. They're able to talk about things, communicate things, see eye to eye more so than maybe with a founder you haven't heard from in years um, or even a few different quarters because some of our founders are a lot more responsive, I think, than others. Um, some are more proactive in sending out investor reports um, and the ones that do take that proactive approach um, are usually more favorable in the eyes of our investors because they know more about the company and they see what's going on over the course of time. Um, so, so the next one, a pivot gone bad. So maybe a company is trying to shift into a new market or they're trying to change their product set um, and it just doesn't go well. What do you think about that topically? Well, so let's, let's, let's just examine the whole notion of pivoting. Uh, a pivot is not a bad thing. Uh, a company that has tried things a certain way and uh, e either they pivot either because things aren't working well, or they may say, oh, wait a minute, we think we could uh, accelerate growth or we think we could expand upon a great idea with a, a bit of a pivot. A pivot doesn't mean a 180. It might only mean a 10 or 15 degree shift in focus and approach. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what we like to see, and, and we would expect pivoting, by the way, that's at the very early stage, that is absolutely something that's going to happen, and it should happen. And stubborn founders that fail to pivot uh, are, are just as concerning to us as, as those that, that do make a pivot that doesn't work out. So I think the, the key here is what's the plan? Uh, and if you're at point A, and you, you're trying to get to point B, but you need to, to, to pivot a little bit and you're not going to go in that straight line that you were expecting to go. All right, that's fine. But give us some kind of justification. Tell us you know, what the problem is, how this solves the problem. Give us some evidence, perhaps, if there's a bit of evidence that you can uh, come up with as to how this is going to work. But let us be your partner in deciding on that pivot. That's really important. 
Don't just drop the, the bomb on us as the investor someday and say, oh, by the way, we're no longer in the in the animal health business. We're, we're now selling widgets of some sort. And we say, really? You know, why wouldn't we have had a conversation about this together and make this decision uh, together? Yeah, I think I think most times a pivot gone bad can be avoided with communication and with investors, but also with your advisory board, um, key stakeholders in the industry as well, and taking really careful stake of, of what's happening in the market and talking to potential customers um, in, in great detail, not just taking a poll. Um, so last one we have time for today, Lee, is burned out or lack of passion. Um, I'm sure you've seen this so many times in your career, but it seems like this is really a hot topic in the news these days, uh, not only founder burnout, but just burnout in general, people kind of being done with what they um, initially set out to do. So I think part of that is really setting reasonable expectations from the beginning. We know that 99% of these companies are not going to be an overnight success. Um, Facebook took 12 years to be an overnight success. So we're really, we're in this as investors for the long haul. Um, and we expect founders to be the same. Um, so part of that too, I mean, I think it also has to do with taking care of yourself, um, finding a way to manage stress, um, building a positive culture with your team as well, knowing who to go to, who you can rely on. Um, maybe if your, your brain is starting to fizzle out, cause it can be a real problem. And then all of a sudden you might have an, ab an absent founder who's just, you know, quit on the team. So what, what has your experience been like for that? Yeah, I, 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 everything you said is correct. Uh, one of the things that we do, we use a, uh, a, a public company called Caliper. And what Caliper does is has a, it's a, has a traits and tendencies test that you can take. Um, and what it, it'll identify a whole raft of, of things that, uh, including resilience. Resi resilience in this business is so important. If you get bucked off the horse, do you lay on the ground in a fetal position or do you get up, dust yourself off and go after it again? And resilience is different than passion, but it's really important that we see resilience. One of the things you can do is perhaps reach out to Caliper, uh, the company, and see if you can find a, uh, a way to take that test yourself and it'll measure uh, your traits and tendencies, especially where your resilience is called e ego strength. Um, and if you're high on that uh, scale, it's a hundred point scale, if you're high, uh, that may be a good sign. It also can be a, a cutting, a, a, there's a two-edged two sword here because if you uh, have too high of a resilience, sometimes you can end up with a, well, what the heck attitude. And we don't want that either. We want you to keep trying and trying and trying. Now, how, where do you get the passion? And, and you know, I always say uh, most people work a job uh, a few people pursue a career and a very few of us live a passion. And from our standpoint, it's easy to, to see a person uh, and sense a person that is truly living a passion. And generally, those of us that live a passion don't burn out. Uh, and, and again, it's not a hard thing to, to spot somebody that's pursuing a career which there's nothing wrong with, but we're really looking for folks that we truly believe are uh, living their passion and 
that are resilient and have the bounce back ability. Uh, and you need to know that about yourself if you're a founder. Uh, and if you don't have that resilience, uh, you have a lot of passion, but no resilience, that's not a good sign either. So uh, again, not that you can necessarily change your, your base level traits and tendencies, but there is learned behavior that comes into play. And you just need to make darn sure that you're cut out to be a, a founder uh, for the long haul uh, from the get-go. I totally agree with that, Lee. And I think that was great advice um, for any of our listeners to reach out to Caliper. I think that's a really great tool that we've used you know, throughout our process and throughout our company as well. So that wraps things up for today. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.